Rick hadn't shown up yet, but Laura knew she was early. She was delighted just to be there, enjoying the sunlight beneath a beautiful blue summer sky, feeling the warmth of the day heat her skin. No one at the facility was up yet, in fact. It was just after 6.30. In another half hour, the cooks and cashiers who ran the small cafe would arrive, and a few minutes after that, the rest of the staff would come wandering in. The facility opened to the public for seven hours each day, but the crux of the work here was research and education, not entertainment. They didn't study dolphin disease and physiology, or perform necropsies or anything like that. They focused on training, learning more about dolphin habits and intelligence with each passing season. Which, of course, was expensive. And why Grady Miller, one of the three founders of the Sea Life Center, had decided that, like other sea mammal research facilities, they would educate the public on dolphins, arranging for playtimes, dolphin swims, and other trainer-conducted interactions. While Rick was the head trainer here, Grady was managing director. The facility had been a non-profit research institute for years, and Grady was loved and respected by the dolphins, as well as all of his co-workers. She'd seen him in the water with the dolphins. They had all rushed to him like giant wet puppies, eager to greet him, eager to have him stroke them along their backs and fins, eager for his kind words. He'd purchased the property and the docks from the previous owners, filmmakers who'd trained dolphins to perform for the camera and continued working with the dolphins they'd left behind, simply loving and being fascinated by the creatures. That had been almost thirty years ago. He'd started with two partners. Willem Rodriguez had provided financing, and Peg Walton worked with him day to day. Peg had passed away a few years ago, and now Grady essentially ran it on his own. The facility was now far larger than when it had been founded, and it was thriving with its research featured in the most influential scientific publications. They were supported by people from around the world, rich and poor alike. Their contributors included people who adopted a dolphin for a small donation, and sustainers who in return for their substantial support were allowed to see some of the research as it was being conducted and were invited to attend a picnic-style fete each year, as well as being welcomed to various small meetings where the center's newest findings were presented. There was, in fact, a dinner planned for that evening. It would be Laura's first chance to attend such a special occasion, because there weren't many of them, and as a new employee, she was lucky to find one happening so soon after she was hired. At Sea Life, every contributor was appreciated, and with non-profit enterprises continually reliant on the philanthropy of others, it was important to always let all their contributors know how much they were valued. And tonight, a few of their major supporters would be on hand. Laura didn't know much about Grant Blackwood of Eden Industries or Eli Taggerly of Taggerly Pharmaceuticals. She did know that Mason Martinez, CEO of Good Health Miami, had a nationwide reputation for his healthful lifestyle clinics and the preventive medicine practice there. She was also familiar with Sonia Larson of Sonia Fashions. In fact, she owned a number of Sonia's pieces, trendy business fashions that didn't cost an arm and a leg. She was anxious to meet the woman along with all the others, of course. Laura's job tonight was to seat everyone and see that they were happy with the food and everyone had a good time, while the trainers and scientists talked about their research and results. It hardly seemed like work. And then there was the day-to-day -day here at Sea Life. Always time to walk around the lagoons and talk to the dolphins. Laura felt she'd truly found a haven. She loved all the dolphins, but especially Coco.
Coco was in the front left lagoon that day, her usual location, though occasionally she was shifted to a different lagoon for training purposes. There were six underwater enclosures for the dolphins at the facility, front, right, and left, and then two more behind each of those, with a sandbar-like island at the rear that more or less created a back street to approach the lagoons. The last two were the largest, where the adolescent males were kept. They could be rough when they played, just like teenage boys, and since two of the females had calves that were just a few months old, they were happiest away from the antics of the boys. The lagoons were all connected via underwater gates, so the dolphins could be moved around for training and medical purposes. Each lagoon had a floating dock for trainers, medical personnel, and the visitors who were part of a swim program, as well as a floating platform farther out in the water.